developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of some casual tub coverage, is Ethan Sachs, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan, how was PT Phoenix casual coverage? It was great. Uh, it was really fun. Yeah. So uh, whenever I can, try and do a little co-stream action with uh, some live draft coverage. I was flying solo this weekend. I was bummed to not get uh, get any of my, my usual co-commentators with me, but it was fine to do it solo. Um, so I did the coverage of the drafts on Friday and Saturday. Had like a pretty good hangout, like 150, 200 people. Watching, uh, watching the PT Phoenix drafts and, and limited rounds with me. So that was really fun. I enjoyed getting to watch the coverage and commentate on it. How was your weekend? It was good. I was teaching on Friday at school and I saw you had posted on Twitter. You had photoshopped a picture of yourself in between like Martin Yuza and somebody else. I don't remember who the other person was. It was Marshall. Was it? Okay. And I, I thought when I looked at it at first that there was some TV like in the news desk <laughs> and that they were like featuring <laughs> casual coverage at the news desk. And I was so hyped. And then I looked closer and I realized it was photoshopped and I was so I was so disappointed. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, but I had a good weekend. Uh, we had solo and ensemble yesterday for our students. So they go play like solos and trios and things for judges that went well for my kids. And so excited to be recording here and jumping back into drafting some more Theros Beyond Death. Yeah, so let's dive into the trophy leaderboard. Where are you at these days? I'm creeping up. I have 32 drafts under my belt now, 58 and 36 overall record, only four trophies, which is a pretty abysmal trophy rate. My win rate is going in the right direction. I have a 62% win rate now, and I probably have a 66% win rate, I think it was, over my last 12 drafts. So a more normal-ish win rate over my last 12 drafts, if still not a normal trophy rate. Nice. I've got a nice even 60 drafts, 117 to 59, only 15 trophies. I only got one in the last week and a 67% win rate. I've been uh, dipping my toe into some of the chaos drafts on Magic Online. I got to say, Ben, Theros Beyond Death has not really hooked me in the way that I had hoped. Yeah, we got a, we got a long marathon to go. You got to pace yourself. I, yeah, exactly. So I'll be, I'll be diving into some of the alt offerings on Magic Online. All right, so we're going to be covering all four of the featured drafts from PT Phoenix. We'll go probably about like a pack and a half deep. We'll review what the deck looks like, um, and we'll talk about the record and, and maybe some interesting things from what happened in the games. But before we get into any of that, got to check in on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we like to give some perks for folks who want to give back to the show. And the base level perk for 
anyone who wants to give to the show via the Patreon is the Lords of Limited Discord, which is so hype. Ben, it really gets me excited anytime there's a GP or a PT or whatever that we get folks from our Discord like posting their decks, posting how they're doing. It's really fun to get to like root people on who are part of that community. Yeah, really fun to railbird and cheer those folks on as they go through the tournament. And we also, of course, want to welcome each and every new member to the Discord and to the Patreon when they join. So this week we are welcoming along to the fold Eddie, Cam, Mike, Matt, Peter, Dave, John, Anthony, Sam, Aaron, Germain, Beef Duck, Glomus, James, and Dominic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Patreon is gas. The podcast is gas. Discord is gas. Love you all very, very much. How about Theros Beyond Death? Is Theros Beyond Death gas, Ben? <laughs> Man, just the hard-hitting questions right off the bat. My on, my honest answer, I, I do not find Theros Beyond Death to be gas. Okay, so uh, this is we've got an outline here of general thoughts on drafting the format this week before we're going to get into these uh, PT drafts. So w- why is that? Or perhaps let's let's start with these thoughts and maybe that will explain why we're both sort of feeling that way. Yeah, so here's what my current strategy is uh, for approaching drafts. And I think I have been doing a lot better once I've started framing things in this context for myself. So the first thing I'm trying to do is get deep into a color if I can with extra bonus points if that color happens to be black. Like if I get a first pick, you know, a couple good black cards, I'm going to try really hard to get deep into black. And I think there's several reasons for this. One, it gives you, I think that's the best way in this format to gain flexibility. Like I don't think you actually gain, we've talked before about staying open as multiple things. I don't think the version of staying open that we've talked about before on the podcast where you have like, you know, four cards of four different colors through the first four picks. I don't think that's the best way to go about being open in this format because a lot of times by that point in the pack, the power level is so flat that it's really hard to discern what your lane is quote unquote supposed to be. Right. The the signals are really maybe not non-existent, honestly, past like the first few picks. And it's really hard to get signals in like picks one through three. But because of this flat power level of commons, like I don't generally see a lane presenting itself to me. It feels like I more have to brute force a lane for myself. Right. And I think the commons being flat and power level, they aren't bad commons. They're just like commons that you don't really want to move into a color for. Like pack one, pick six, are you supposed to move into white for a sentinel's eyes? Like probably not, but maybe, I don't know. Like there's a lot of that going on, I feel like. Whereas if you already have, you know, four white cards, you're thrilled to get a sentinel's eyes and it's going to be a great card in your deck. You know what I mean? Like there's that awkward tension there between... Like the commons are good in the decks that they go in, but oftentimes by the time you're seeing those commons, you can't really move into a color for those commons. At least that's been my experience. So I think one of the things you get by getting deep into a color is that, you know, the best cards are so good and the gap between the best cards is so much better than the gap between the next best cards in the set. It gives you a chance to get great cards in another color, either like when you open in pack two or getting past you in pack two, and then to take advantage of putting those powerful cards in your deck. I think those are the two two main reasons for me that I really want to try to get deep into a color. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think one of the things that makes this format not fun for me is that, is that we you can't really draft, quote unquote, the hard way, I don't think, like that idea of just like taking the best cards, figuring out what the color or color pair for your seat is supposed to be. That is a really fun aspect for me. And I think it's something that you and I both pride ourselves on being good at. It doesn't feel like you get rewarded as much in this set as you do in other sets for doing that. And I think to piggyback off of that, there aren't really any build arounds 
in the set. There aren't a lot of cards. I mean, I think Enigmatic Incarnation is maybe one of the only ones that's like green, blue, rare, that's like sort of a birthing pod to turn enchantments into creatures. Like there are very few cards in the set that cause you to warp your pick order or like change your pick order to go, okay, I've got this card now and I want to maximize it. And whereas I would think that commons one, two, three were these, now I'm going to rank them one, two, three this way in this color because of this, you know, uncommon or rare that I want to build around. Yeah, I would add Thassa's Oracle to that list, I think. Yeah, sure. I think that's fair. Trying to think if there are any at the uncommon level. I I was mentioning this on stream the other day and folks were like, started to throw out, well, like, well, Staggering Insight or Utopia. And I was like, no, no, I don't think that's true. I don't think the signpost gold uncommons that like define what the color pair are trying to do. Like if you're in blue green, you want to draft constellation, you want to draft enchantment matters. So Utopia is just doing that or like telling you to do that. That doesn't feel like a build around to me. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe Warden of the Chained a little bit incentivizes me to pick four power creatures. Yeah, sure. Furious Rise, maybe like, but they're sort of few and far between. And they're not like, they don't feel, I don't know, there's an aspect, I think, for all magic players, where you like to feel smart, whether it's in the drafting or in gameplay, like doing cute things. And I think in drafting a build around or maximizing a build around is something that makes me feel smart, makes me feel like I'm flexing some muscle. And I just don't feel like I get to do that very often here. I agree. So we're trying to get deep into a color. Second thing is, if you see the powerful black cards early, like, you know, Freakus Spawn, Elspis Nightmare, Timoret Chosen by Death. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you. Wow. Look at that. Me just pulling look that out you. of thin air. Myers Grass, <laughs> Final Death. Those are kind of like tier one. Yeah, I'd say those are like the first tier of non-rare black cards that I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm willing to play this mini game. And this is, I think, the next part of the format that doesn't feel very fun to me is this like, as you've described it, a game of chicken of like, am I going to be one of the four people at the table fighting over black cards? Or do I let the black pass me by and try and get into some other color pair? I would think I would add gray merchant to tier one there. Oh, that's interesting. See gray merchant and and honestly, Timurit to an extent make me feel a little more nervous because of the heavy black commitment. And so like the other cards like spawn nightmare grasp and final death, they're single black pips. And so even if I like get the short end of the straw of the black drafters and I can go like 10, seven, you know, whatever other color swamps, I can still cast those cards pretty comfortably. Yeah. Gary's good enough that I think I'm willing to hang on for dear life. I, if you yeah. get, if you get black omens with Gary, that's, that's a, that's a deck. Gary plus two omen of the deads is a real deck. You're right. Yeah. So I think that's, that's why I would put him into your one. That's fair. Um, and then I think the next tier below is like, you know, drag to the underworld, Meyer Triton, inevitable end. I'm not really willing to put any other commons there. Like Venomous Hierophant is great. Catableepus is great. But like Hierophant, you need escape cards and like you're going to get them probably if you're in black. But I have had, you know, decks that like load up on Hierophants and then don't quite have the ways to make them the four mana three, three death touch draw cards that we would like them to be. But it's this really it's a really interesting game. Like when, you know, you're seeing Black commons are just so, so deep, uh, even down to like, you know, you probably go like 10, 12 commons deep and you're still like, yeah, I'm happy to put these cards in my deck. I think that that makes it a really hard color to read in terms of like, am I supposed to be holding on here? Am I happy taking a discordant Piper fifth? Like, do you have the power level at the top to justify making those sort of weaker picks in the middle of the pack? Yeah, it's very tough to figure out, I think. So if you get those tier one cards, I think you're trying very hard to quote unquote, send signals to your neighbor. I think you're willing to pick weaker black cards out of the pack over maybe some better cards of another color. 
with the, the, the idea that hopefully you're going to get rewarded with black in pack two. And it gives you flexibility to choose your second color later and hopefully get past a good card of another color. I mean, I think that is definitely a thing you can do is like scare some people off to your left from drafting black so that you get rewarded with it. I think you can sort of unintentionally have that happen. Like you're not receiving black from the right, but then because of that, because you've passed no black then in pack one, that you do get that in pack two. And I think you have to be open to that as a possibility as well. Right. But then there's also the danger that that person feels that same way too. And uh-huh, like cuts you. <laughs> so it and is. There, and there's the game of chicken. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I do think I feel more. I don't feel as bad about the game as I did a week ago. I feel willing to play the game of chicken and I feel like I'm getting better at it. Yeah. So I was going to ask, is that because you just feel like I'm just going to accept that that's part of this format? Or do you feel like you've made some you know, decisions or changes in the way you approach that mini game and then have reaped some better results? I think it's more of a mental shift, more of okay. I'm I'm willing to play the game and I understand like trying to view it as a feature of the format rather than a bug like that this is what the format is and it can teach me about sending signals and it can teach me about navigating drafts in a different way than I'm used to or comfortable doing and I that, that that's maybe not a bad thing that's how I'm trying to frame it yeah I think that's fair that that's a, a nice positive spin I like that that's that's a rare take from Ben Wernie. Yeah, I'm trying, not successfully (laughs) trying like five times a stream. I randomly say I hate this format, but I mean, yeah. So next thing we're trying to do, I think uh, me and I think you as well. um, If a card is game warping power level B plus or higher, probably you should be willing to jump through a lot of hoops to put it into your deck. And I think one of the best ways to do that is multiple travelers amulets. Yeah, Traveler's Amulet is sneaky good in this format. I think that article that we referenced last week from DraftSim is more right than I think we gave it credit for. Yeah, I would agree with that. Next up on this list is uh, sort of moving into archetype specifics. I think if you want to play a control deck, you want to make sure you have rares that can win the game on their own. Because oftentimes, and I think we're talking about blue-based control decks, blue just doesn't have those tools at common like witness of tomorrow's or brine giant maybe can get you there but i I think more often than not the tools at common that you're using there are pieces of permission and then you need something else to be able to close out the game yeah i have really struggled with the heavy blue control decks and i don't quite know what i'm doing wrong or what's going wrong so i kind of want to describe my experience for you and see see if your experience lines up or if you've got some light to shed on what's going on. So when I draft these heavy blue control decks, you know, like that have the package of turtle, blue omen of the sea, deny the divine, thirst for knowledge, like you've got the draw go package, let's say, I feel like I still lose a lot with those decks because a few things happen. One, if you miss your third land drop, it just feels like you lose like there is no coming back. The deck plays really poorly from behind. I think that's my biggest complaint about it. And I don't know how to solve that issue with the deck because a lot of times if your opponent sticks a threat, you have to tap out to answer it. Or I mean, I guess the the dream scenario, right, is they play a ground threat and then you mm-hmm. can they don't cast something into your deny the divine and then you can play a riptide turtle and then the next turn hold up deny the divine. But it feels like once you fall behind, you just are trying to play catch up the whole game and there's never really a way to catch up. I've really run into that a bunch with these decks. I'm not sure how to solve that problem. Yeah, I have not experienced that a ton, but I also haven't played a lot of these blue based control decks. I feel like this week was my first foray into really having a a couple of them that felt, you know, I've had multiple decks this week, I think, where I had, you know, three thirsts, three denies, or I had like one deck was like two denies and two memory drains, just a lot. This sort of like critical mass of 
things that I can do on my opponent's turn. And a lot of those being permission pieces, but then you do need to have like the, okay, I could play a turtle. I could play a gull. I could cast thirst or omen of the sea or whatever. Like, you know, this toolbox of things that you can do, uh, if you don't have something you want to counter. Um, but I felt, I haven't felt that like, Oh no, I'm so far behind, but maybe I just got lucky in terms of like not facing the red, white aggro decks that, that much, or like the red, green four power decks. I feel like those are probably the two scourges of the, the blue Drago deck. I have felt that it's, equivalent or I felt similar to when I played the Clear the Mind Dovin's Acuity deck in Ravnica Allegiance, where you have this ability of like, this card doesn't matter, this card doesn't matter. Like every third spell your opponent plays is a thing you're like, and I have to answer that. Like, I think you have to be really smart about not just like firing off counter spells, and this helps when you have the multiple things to do, but just being like, okay, I need to be really smart about what the things are that actually matter in this matchup and answering those and letting other things resolve or, you know, hit me for whatever. Maybe in my life, my life total goes down fairly low, but feeling confident that I can stabilize down the road. That, that, that's been my experience. Like when the deck comes together, it has felt very powerful to me, but I agree that, you know, I, I need something like a Thrix or as we were looking at a deck before, I had like an Elspeth Conqueror's Death plus Laganaban Storyteller as like a little loop. Uh, you need like something like that to win the game because the commons aren't really going to get you there. Yeah, I think this is this is what, how I would like if I were to encapsulate my description of my complaint about the deck. I'm not sure what the benefit of like playing that draw go deck is because it just feels like I'm on rails the whole game. Like if one thing doesn't go my way in that draw go game that I'm going to lose and I'm not sure what the benefit of doing that is. And maybe I'm just building the decks wrong, but I don't think so because my decks look very similar to the trophy decks I see and I'm not sure, like I'm not that terrible of a player, you know what I mean? Like I know <laughs> yeah. I know how to play draw go. So if anybody can shed some light on that, what, what key pieces I might be missing, would love to chat in the Discord or on Twitter. Sweet. And last thing, I think if you don't have bombs, you really want to be an aggressive beatdown deck with a lot of the best common removal in your colors. Like if you're white red, you want some dreadful apathies, you want some Erosis blessings. And I think that is the premier way to win in the format without rare. Like if you're going to turn it into a popper format, I think you need to be beating down. And you need heroes and wraps. Heroes and wraps, baby. I think red green also with Wardens of the Chain is real strong. Yeah, I really like red green curve out. It's a good deck. And and I think white pious wayfarers like there's a, the other flavor of white, too, with pious wayfarers that doesn't really care about rap quite so much. So here's the hottest take that we got in Discord this week. Someone was proposing Pious Wayfair as the second best white common. I'm in, baby. Are you really? I really am. I mean, I think it just depends, right? Like in generic power level, Heliod's Pilgrim is probably a more flexible safe pick. But once you get Pious Wayfarer, you want as many Pious Wayfarers as you can get. And it leads you down the path of a very good deck. I mean, I don't hate it. It's similar to it's it's it's. To me, in its deck, it's the same power level as the white hero. So wherever you're picking the white hero, I think you could pick Pious Wayfarer at the same place. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've had decks where I've ended drafts and been like, I actually don't have enough triggers for these heroes, but these Wayfarers are really going to get there. All right. Well, enough about our disdain for this format. Let's dive into <laughs> some of these PT drafts, which I thought were... This is like the first time, Ben. I think they were like all really well navigated. I'm excited to uh, to, to get into these here. So let's check in on day one. First feature drafter was Matt Nass. And he looks down at the following pack one, pick one. It was stacked at the common level. He's got Iroas's Blessing, Witness of Tomorrow's, Underworld Ragehound, and Voracious Typhon. And then at the uncommon level, we see a Ferris Band Brawler and Timoret Chosen from Death. And his rare 
is the Acroan War. Is that a hold on for dear life rare for you, Ben? That is a hold on for dear life rare for me. That card's very good and very splashable. It is, I have found from my opponents that I've been able to jump through some hoops to have it not be crazy effective, but it it definitely has a game warping effect. Yes, I agree 100%. And that is what Matt Nass grabbed. And also because of how deep this pack is, I don't think it's crazy for Underworld Ragehound to wheel, right? Arosa's Blessing isn't going to be here on the wheel, but there's a lot of really strong cards. And I think red is by and large believed to be the worst of the five colors. And so I could see folks not getting into it and that Rage Hound wheeling. Yeah. Pack number two, the rare is still in the pack here, the Dryad of the Elysian Grove. And we've also got a uh, Threnody Singer, a Meyer Triton at Uncommon and at Common and Iroas's Blessing. Yeah. So I think, you know, Iroas's Blessing is the best card in the pack. And I think it matches up with our first pick in the Acroan War. So I think you are thrilled to see Arosa's Blessing here and you're jamming it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so two for two here with Matt. Pick number three uh, at the common level. We've got an Omen of the Sea, an Elysian Caryatid, and an Underworld Ragehound. And the only uncommon to speak of here is Destiny Spinner. Yeah, I think this is an interesting pick for me. I think, you know, Destiny Spinner looks like the best card in the pack to me as far as power level. Underworld Ragehound is, you know, weaker, but a notch weaker, not a ton weaker in my in my estimation. And I think there's a very real case for Underworld Ragehound here. I think I would make that case. I would want to stay deeper into red. I have not been crazy impressed with Destiny Spinner. Destiny Spinner has been good. It's most often been a two mana, two, three enchantment creature. I have found its ability to rarely come up and most often in like racing situations where I want to make an extra chump blocker or something. I've not been beating my opponent down with four, four enchantment lands because oftentimes if the game goes that long, like the board's really clogged and you still don't have great attacks with those enchantment creatures. So I think mm-hmm. I would actually take Underworld Ragehound over Destiny Spinner here and try to stay red. All right, a little story time here about Destiny Spinner, Ben. Do you know that there are two pieces of text on this card? Yeah, the stuff about stuff not being able to be countered. Okay, so in g- match three of Limited, uh, Shahar Shanhar mulligans to six. He, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at his draft deck a little later, um, but he does end up in blue. Uh, his opponent goes Destiny Spinner on turn two, turn three, Satessan Champion, Shahar Snaps off Deny the Divine. Oh, no. So Tessin Champion goes to exile. Uh, they like play another turn and then the judges catch that the card was not supposed to be countered. So they had to walk it back, but got got. And it's not like you can't cast the spell. Like you can still cast a counter spell. It just can't be countered. Oh, no. So Shahar got yeah. like crazy whammy. Shahar got pretty whammy, especially on, on a mulligan to six was uh, not great for him. Anyway, uh, so Matt. Grabs the Destiny Spinner here. I like this pick personally. I think Underworld Ragehound, I think your case for Underworld Ragehound is good. And I think there's a case for cutting red because you've passed an Iros's Blessing as, you know, but it's not one of the better cards from that first pack. That pack was pretty stacked. Like I would take Timoret or Ferris Band Brawler over Iros's Blessing in that pack. But I think it's close here. And Underworld Ragehound is just a little, I don't know, I'd have it at like a C plus, maybe C. And I think Destiny Spinner is like a solid B for me. A solid B. Wow. A solid B. Destiny That's a really Spin- good Destiny, card. Destiny Spinner, I think, is C plus for me. I think I think your experience with this card maybe is just too, like, it, it hasn't done the thing yet. I've played it probably four or five times, I think, at least. And my opponents have played it. I just haven't been impressed by that guy. Interesting. All right. Uh, moving on to pack one, pick four. We've got the option between Omen of the Dead, Scophos Warleader, and Nyxborn Colossus at Common and then a careless celebrant at uncommon. 
yeah, you're thrilled to see this careless celebrant here. If you're Matt Nass, this is, you know, best card in the pack. Probably a clear signal that red is, if not open, semi-open. So I think you're jamming careless celebrant here and you are thrilled. Yeah. And he agrees. Okay. So time out. Like, let's rewind for a second. Yeah. To the, like, right now, I would feel way better with four red cards than I would mm-hmm. with the three red cards and a destiny spinner. I think that's fair. I, I'm i just not that crazy about Underworld Ragehound. I feel like it's kind of likely that the one from pack one could wheel. I don't need multiples of them. I, I don't know. Like, it's not a card that I'm crazy about these days. Okay, interesting. Pick five, we've got an Ichthyomorphosis, a Loathsome Chimera, and a Voracious Typhon. And then at Uncommon, I think the only red card to speak of is Escape Velocity. Yeah, so we're taking a non-red card here. So I think we're looking to take the best card in the pack. And luckily for Matt Nass, lines up very well with the Destiny Spinner that he's already got. I would also be grabbing Voracious Typhon here. So I think you slam that. There has been some talk in the Discord that Loathsome Chimera might be better than Voracious Typhon. What do you think about that? I think that's hogwash. That's what I think also. Great. (laughs) Sorry, Discord folks. You got (laughs) dunked on. (laughs) Back one, pick six. Pretty Deep drop off here in power level. There's a stern dismissal, Farika's libation. I think only red card to speak of is Nixborn Brute. And there's a Hyrax Tower Scout as a green card. Yeah, I don't love any of these options. Like so, and this is this is the the thing, right? Like if you're not if you're not deep in a color at this point, and these are your options, like there's no are, signals to be had here. Right. Like what are you doing? Like, so this is sort of alluding to that point a little bit. And I think this happens more often than it doesn't. Yes. Uh, so I would be grabbing Hyrax Tower Scout here as like a better green card, I think, to go along with the Typhon we just nabbed, goes along mm-hmm. with the Destiny Spinner. Like three mana three threes totally serviceable in the format, especially if you're trying to beat down Wears and Aroas' Blessing well, does what you need it to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. But it's just like you would rather pick this up, pick 10 than pick six. Certainly. Number seven here, he's got a Revoke Existence, Arena Trickster, Aspect of Manticore as commons that are either good or in his colors. And rare still in the pack here, Temple of Plenty, the green-white Scryland. Yeah, nothing is very exciting here. Green-red will play an aspect of Manticore, but you don't need to pick it this highly. I think you take Temple of Plenty as the off-color Scryland or like half-on-color Scryland. And then if you right. get a white card, like a, you know, whatever, uh, Oblivion Ring, but not Oblivion Ring. Banishing Light? That one. There you go. Wow, you knew Timret's whole name, but couldn't name Banishing Light. It was in there somewhere. It's rooting around. All right. We're, we're, we're seven. Well, you're six for seven. I'm seven for seven picks with Matt here. Uh, pack one, pick eight. Uh, he's got a one with the stars, altar of the pantheon, Satessan training, and dream shaper shaman still in the pack. Um, I think this is between Satessan training and dream shaper shaman. We're pretty locked on red green at this point. I think. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Honestly, I like dream shaper shaman a fair amount. It feels like a lot of times there are cards like Satessan training laying around, or maybe you've got you know Caryatid laying around that you want to sack later in the game. So yeah. I, I like dream shaper shaman here. I do too. Uh, Matt elects to take the test and training, which I have no qualms with really. Like I think it's very close for me that I could see either pick being correct, but I do like Dream Shaper Shaman as a way to like, you know, turn your Warbriar blessings or Iros's blessings into, into gas late in the game if you need that. Yeah. Pack one, pick nine on the wheel. No Underworld Rage Hound, but there are holy green cards, Batman, Nexus Wardens, Hydra's Growth, and Voracious Typhon on the wheel. 
Wow. That's crazy. I mean, you're just yeah. slamming voracious Typhon here and you're feeling great about being red green. Like I, it would be something insane to move me off red green at this point. Yeah, I agree. Pack one, pick 10. I thought this was kind of interesting. He's got the choice between, uh, there's a free libation in the pack. That doesn't really matter. But the red or green cards to speak of, the only one here is Portent of Betrayal, which doesn't really go in red green. And there's a witness of tomorrow's here. Pack one, pick 10, a witness of tomorrow's. And any thought to just like, Taking this as a hedge pick? You could. I I mean, I think it's pretty negligible either way. I think it's pretty unlikely that you will go blue. But there's some chance that you open, I don't know, what would you have to open to get you to switch into blue? Like Thrix? I don't think I would would switch for Thrix. Not switching for Thrix. Okay. This this red green beatdown deck looks real good here. Yeah. Matt agrees he's going to grab Portent of Betrayal here. Rounds out the pack with a Satessin Petitioner. A mountain pick 12, sending those clear signals. Uh, Nyxborn Courser and Nyx Lotus last. Uh, I think he's got some interesting picks here in pack two. I'm going to run through pick one and two, which aren't really that interesting. Uh, he's got the choice pack two, pick one between Warbriar's Blessing and Mystic Repeal. The rare he opens is Atris, the blue-black like Menace 3-2 that has the like mini game of flip three cards or whatever. So he grabs the removal spell here over the... like you know, disenchant variant of Mystic Repeal, which I agree with. Yeah, Warbriar's Blessing is a house in red-green. Yeah. Uh, Pack two, pick two. He grabs another Destiny Spinner. Uh, There's a Storm's Wrath, um, an Underworld Rage Hound, an Omen of the Forge, and a Return to Nature. So he's got red and green options, um, and I think takes the best one for his deck in Destiny Spinner. Now, here is, I think, basically the only pick that I disagree with uh, with Matt here. Pack two, pick three. He's got the choice between uh, Sunmane Pegasus as, like, a good card in the pack, Hero of the Nick says maybe a are, are you supposed to jump ship on green, but he's not going to do that now. There's Aspect of Manticore, but really it comes down to these two cards here. Skola Grove Dancer versus Nylea's Huntmaster. Where are you at here? I think this is largely a curve pick for me, and I think I'm pretty clearly on Skola Grove Dancer for the curve, as well as we have two voracious Typhons that we want to fuel and find. So I think Skola Grove Dancer is is pretty clear pick for me over Nylea's Huntmaster here. And he's already got two Typhons, Iros's Blessing, and a Crow and War. So that's four four drops already. And he's got two Destiny Spinners, which Skola, which Skola Grove Dancer is going to make better. So I, I was pretty surprised to see him take the Huntmaster here over the Grove Dancer. Um, and I, I think he would have preferred to have the two drop here. So Red Green... Super open for his seat. He has a great curve of creatures. Um, I, I, as I said, I really only disagreed with the Grove Dancer versus Huntmaster pick. I took a stab at building the deck because uh, I had like someone while I was doing the broadcasting, someone like typed up all his picks, so I imported that into Magic Online and like took a, a spin at building the deck and almost built the deck exactly the same as him. I would have run eighteen lands. He went went seventeen with uh, Satessin Petitioner, but I think eighteen lands is really good with like you know he's got four Typhons, he has two Destiny Spinners, he ended up with an Anax Hardened in the Forge, so he's got like a lot of heavy green commitments, but then also wants to cast this red red card. But the deck is just like a brick of like twos threes and fours it's a rock solid deck and what was his record he went two one he got wrecked in the mirror in round two by hydra's growth out of the sideboard in game two and three i mean you can sort of look at his deck he doesn't have a ton of ways to interact he's got a crone war iros's blessing and warbriar blessing and that's it so 
Hydra's growth out of the sideboard from his opponent was really smart because once the creature gets to a certain size, Matt just can't deal with it. Yep. Pulled that off at GP New Jersey myself. Nice. Moving on to Shahar Shenhar as our featured second drafter on day one. So pack one, pick one. Shahar sits down and sees the following cards as options at common ichthyomorphosis, loathsome chimera, voracious typhon, dreadful apathy, and Aroas's blessing. And then Uncommons, Agonizing Remorse, and Alsaid of Life's Bounty. Yeah, uh, I like taking the best card out of this pack here, which is Dreadful Apathy. Yeah, I think Aroas' Blessing is rapidly rising uh, to the level of Dreadful Apathy Myers Grasp for me, like almost equal in power level to those cards. But I still think I'm on Apathy over Blessing here and agree with that pick. And Shahar does as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. There's a Hero of the Pride at Common, Impending Doom at Uncommon, that's Oaken Form on steroids, and a bunch of other stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah, this pack was super, super weak. It was really just between these two cards, and I think you just stay on color here and take Hero of the Pride. Yeah, that makes sense to me, and Shahar thought so as well. So with a Dreadful Apathy and a Hero of the Pride in our pile, moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's a Mystic Repeal. And Phalanx Tactics at Uncommon. Temple of Plenty is your rare. That's the green-white rare Scryland. And then at Common, you've got Revoke Existence, Omen of the Forge, and Sun Main Pegasus. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about the white commons in our Discord this week. And I think one of the things was the equating of Sun Main Pegasus to Daybreak Chimera and sort of thinking about like, does Daybreak Chimera really come down before turn four that often? And, you know, how much better is it being an additional power versus this being sort of easier to cast with only a single white pit, but also having the ability of the Vigilance lifelink uh, one in a white activation. I think Sunmain Pegasus is really good and it continues to rise in my estimation of the white commons. I think that would be my pick here over Revoke Existence. Like Phalanx Tactics is just not really that exciting to me. Yeah, I think I think Omen of the Forge is probably the best card in the pack or mystic repeal maybe i on think power mystic level? repeal is probably the best card in the pack yeah yeah on power level but i honestly i like staying white here i think i would take sun main pegasus over both omen of the forge and mystic repeal for what we talked about earlier in the episode like i think these all could be lumped into the same category of cards like as yes. far as power level wise and i think that makes me want to stay white given the option. I agree. Shahar disagreed and took Omen of the Forge, which I think is a totally respectable pick. Moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. There's an Oread of Mountains Blaze. That's the Rummager at common. Blight Breath Catablepus, Satessin Training, and One with the Stars. No white cards really worth mentioning here, which is a bit of a yikes. Pretty yikes and feels good. Like, I would feel bad if I had taken the Sunmane Pegasus. Like, at the time, I think that's right, but now... Looks great for Shahar having taken the Omen of the Forge. And it's like, what, what the heck is he supposed to do? This is not a point like Blight Breath Catablepus is the best card here, but this doesn't feel like a card at this time in the pack that makes me want to jump into black and start fighting over it. So I kind of like just taking a card that matches up with one of the colors he has. I'm just grabbing Oread of Mountains Blaze. Yeah, I think if you have the Omen of the Forge, Oread feels pretty good here. I think if I've got three white cards, I'm taking Blight Breath Catablepus here. Because yeah. because I feel fine about abandoning black. Like if I don't see black, great. I can keep hopefully going down the white train. You know, maybe this pack is just an aberration. Uh, or, you know, maybe black is open and I get to reap the rewards of black or some other color I find for my second color and, and get there. So I just feel like with the three white cards, I feel like I'm open to taking Catablepus, mm-hmm. which I, I honestly would rather do than Oriada Mountains Blaze here. But I think if you're Shahar and you have the omen, Oriad feels better. Yeah, I agree with all that 100%. 
Okay, so Shahar does grab the Oriata Mountains Blaze there. So two white cards, two red cards for Shahar. Moving on to pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options. At common, there's a Voracious Typhon, Underworld Ragehound, and a Witness of Tomorrows. At the uncommon, still in the pack, it's pretty late here. Ferris Band Brawler still hanging out, the 4-4 that fights. That's crazy to me, and I, I think that's worth jumping ship for, but this feels bad. You're like, white card, white card, red card, red card, green card? That's not where I want to be in my Theros Beyond Death Drafts. Not where I want to be either, but do you feel great about getting a Ferris Band Brawler, and it feels like a pretty strong green signal with a Typhon still here in the pack. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, moving on to pack one, pick six. You see the following cards as options. At common, there's a Rumbling Sentry as the only white card, so seems like the white dream is dead. Mm-hmm. Nylea's Forerunner here, four and a green for the five through Trample. Ichthyomorphosis, Witness of Tomorrows, and at Uncommon, Threnody Singer still hanging out in the pack. The one three flyer that has flash and shrinks your creature, shrinks an opponent's creature equal to your devotion to blue. Yeah, much like Voracious Typhon and Brawler felt like green signals last pack, having Singer, Witness, and Ichthyomorphosis here feel like a pretty good blue signal here, pick six. So... I would take a blue card here. I was talking about this on stream that I thought while Threnody Singer is a better card than Witness, I could see if green blue is the thing he ends up in that Witness is a better card in that deck specifically. But I, I think you're just supposed to take probably the cheaper card and the better card in Threnody Singer. Yeah, I, that's an interesting point and I agree with it. I think you do take Threnody Singer though and Shahar agrees, nabs that here. So nice to see some good flexible drafting from Shahar. Yeah, he's, he's really drafting the hard way here. Yeah, and unfortunately, because I don't think that's <laughs> where you really want to be in the form. Yeah. Much more want drafts like Matt Nass had. Uh, moving on to pack one, pick seven. You see the following cards as options. There's a Satessan Petitioner, Nyad of Hidden Coves, Satessan Training, and Underworld Ragehound. Yeah, so do you take a Nyad to go with the Threnity Singer? Do you take a Training to go with your Brawler? Or do you take a Ragehound to go with your initial two? red cards it's tough i would probably want to latch on more to signals i've been receiving later it's tough because i think the best card he's got right now is ferris band brawler it's the only card of that color though i know but like i think you have to take some stock in that like being green or blue is more likely because you saw those powerful cards pick five and six than like we took some white cards early but like we can't stay there and like our red cards aren't good i mean omen of the forge is fine but it's not something to like write home about I agree. So I I don't know what I would do here. I think I might just take Nyad of the Hidden Coves to pair with the Threnody Singer I just picked up, but I don't feel strongly about any of these cards. I agree. You're pretty disappointed no matter what happens here. I, I could see, I, I think I would maybe take Ragehound, although I just wouldn't have had the red cards. I don't know. With where Shahar is right now, I think I would take Ragehound because I think I would want to get a playable deck. And I think yeah. Underworld Ragehound leans me the most towards a playable deck. Like if you're Shahar... At this point in the draft, like this is one thing that shifted for me, like after doing the the drafts, the called drafts of the GP, you're thinking, okay, I'm not, not, not three owing this draft, right? Like you just want a deck that can two one. Right. And I think Underworld Ragehound leads to that more likely. Like you've got a curve, you've got an Omen of the Forge. So I think I would actually take Ragehound here. Yeah, I think that's totally defensible. All right, moving on to pack one, pick eight. See the following cards as options. There's a Nyxborn Colossus, a Whirlwind Denial, and a Thrill of Possibility. Yeah, I mean, you're not, not thrilled here at all with Ooh, what you've got. Yikes. No, sorry, no, no good. Okay, uh, but I do think that you probably just take the red card here now. And this leads you to like just being like, all right, well, I know what one of my colors is and then I'm open to whatever in pack two. Yeah, I think that sounds great to me and Shahar as well. So you take Thrill of Possibility there. 
Moving on to pick nine, see the following cards as options. There's an Ichthyomorphosis, another Thrill, and Eidolon of Philosophy. Yeah, that seems pretty late for Ichthyomorphosis, and we have the Threnody Singer. He doesn't need to take a second Thrill here, so I like taking what is the best card here, and, and maybe just being like, all right, am I supposed to move into blue-red? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Uh, I could see taking the second Thrill here as well, and just getting deeper into red. Opa has had a lot of heavy Thrill decks that have looked pretty good. Yeah, like just like wild Teamer decks with a bunch of Thrills. Yeah. So pack rounds out, pick 10, get a Nyxborn Brute, pick 11, takes an Arena Trickster over the Sea Guard and the Aspect of the Manticore, pick 12, Alter the Pantheon, and then some Junkers, Nexus Wardens, and Rumbling Sentry. So I think Shahar knows he's red and is trying to feel out what his second color might. Yeah. Moving on to pack two, pick one, your rare in the pack is Hactos. At the uncommon level, you've got a Blood Aspirant and a Dreamstalker Manticore to choose between. And then at the common level, looking at Warbriar's Blessing, Underworld Ragehound, and Nyad of Hidden Coves. Yeah, I mean, I was happy to see that Shahar did not take Hactos here. It feels like people understand by and large that this card is highly medium. Um, and it's really nice for him to pick up a Dreamstalker Manticore here, if, especially if he's going to be going blue-red. Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to see him navigating as pack two rounds out here. In pick two, he takes a Threnody Singer over, you know, a bunch of other similarly powered cards. We're not a call to the hunt, probably the best card in the pack. Mm -hmm. And then pack three, uh, nabs a Vexingal over a bunch of similarly powered cards. Pick four gets hooked up with a Mischievous Chimera, which is the blue-red-gold uncommon. And I'm sure that locks him into blue-red, nabs a one with the stars, next pick. And then pick six, nabs a Storm's Wrath here. And you have a note here from Martin Yuza on coverage about Storm's Wrath. Yeah, I'm pretty down on Storm's Wrath. And so I was like, think this card is bad. People in Twitch chat were telling me differently. And then when I went back to like type up these picks and heard what Martin Yuza was saying as they were calling the draft, he made a really good point about it being good in blue red in particular that like you can pass on turn three with like, I want to play my vexing goal. And then your opponent plays a four drop and you go, cool, never mind, I'm not going to play that, and I will just play a land on turn four and wrath you and get the thing. Or you can like loot it away with your thrill of possibility or your thirst for meaning when it's not relevant. So it got me thinking like maybe the card, maybe that's probably the best home for that card, and it's actually quite good there. Yeah, I mean, I've been impressed with Storm's Wrath. I played it in a red-green deck that had some beefers that could survive it. I mean, it's a powerful card. It's just a little awkward to find a home for it. But if you do find mm -hmm. a deck that has a good home for it, I mean, the power level's there. Yeah, I think I agree. And we did see Storm's Wrath do huge work for Shahar in game two of, I think, match two for him. He got down to one life and cast Storm's Wrath and was able to claw his way back with like some really good gameplay and a little bit of luck off the top of his library. But it was very, very impressive. Yeah, sweet. I think Shahar drafted really, really well here. It was a tough seat to navigate. I think he found his lane and got like a pretty good deck. He had an Ox of Aganas in pack three double Mischievous Chimera, triple Gull, uh, double Threnody Singer, only one Deny the Divine. He did run two Arena Tricksters. He also got passed and ended up registering Perforos in his deck. But I'm also guessing that he like sided it out every game because we never saw it in play. But he did find the right seat. He did unfortunately go 1-2 with the deck, though. Ah, bummer. Yeah. All right, moving on to day two, uh, feature drafter William Huey Jensen here. Starts off with a, a pick that I, I find kind of contentious here. Uh, pack one, pick one. He sees commons, thirst for meaning, probably the best one. Three uncommons here, Fateful End, Shimmerwing Chimera, and Sweet Oblivion. 
And his rare womp womp is Dalakos, the blue red two four. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we're going by pick order that we've laid out, I think Shimmerwing Chimera is a better card than Fateful End. I think it's got a much higher ceiling. So I think I would be on Shimmerwing Chimera over Fateful End here. Pack one, pick one. I would as well. And I was surprised to see Huey grab the Fateful End there, um, but he did. I mean, I guess they're kind of close. I-, I have just think Shimmerwing Chimera is one of the best uncommons in the format. Yeah, I think maybe I, at this point, I'm struggling to win with blue. I wonder if Huey feels similarly or or not. Yeah, well, we will see as he moves on to pack one pick two. Uh, we get a bunch of blue cards here. Stinging Lionfish, Witness of Tomorrows, and the rare still in the pack, Wave Break Hippocamp. A couple other uncommons in Alcaid of Life's Bounty and Furious Rise and Elysian Carry Added at Common, though I think that's probably out of contention here. Yeah, I think Wavebreak Hippocamp is far and away the best card in the pack and is something else that encourages you to build around it in the set, you know, from our discussion earlier. Yeah. And I think I would snap that up here. Yep. And Huey agrees. Uh, pack one, pick three. At common, there's an Incendiary Oracle and a Hero of the Pride. And at uncommon, a Careless Celebrant and another Shimmerwing Chimera. That's great to see here after picking up Wavebreak Hippocamp. Yeah. I think you jam Shimmerwing Chimera here and you are thrilled to be receiving a heavy blue signal. Yeah, Huey agrees. So he's got the Fateful End, the Wavebreak Hippocamp, and the Chimera. Pack one, pick four. At common, Elysian Carry Added, Riptide Turtle, Daybreak Chimera. Omen of the Sea, and an uncommon Siona, Captain of the Pileas. Yeah, this is a pretty flat pack here. I mean, the commons that stand out to me are Omen and Daybreak Chimera. I suppose Riptide Turtle, too, if you're in the blue deck. Mm -hmm. But after picking up Wavebreak, Hippocamp, and Shimmerwing Chimera, I don't think there's a card you want to put in your deck more than Omen of the Sea. just works so well with both those cards. Yeah, and you're thrilled right now if you're Huey. Like, you feel kind of bad that you didn't take the Shimmerwing Chimera, but it doesn't really matter that much. Like, Yeah, you, you can't feel bad about that. You just feel great. Yeah, you feel great right now. So pack one, pick five. Again, we're going to see a drop off here. So we've got Eidolon of Philosophy, Oread of Mountain's Blaze, Wings of Hubris, Omen of the Hunt at Common. The rare is still in the pack, Ben. It's Youthful Knight, Eidolon of Obstruction. Yeah. Woo. So this is fine <laughs> for Huey, yeah. right? Because like he, he had an insane start to the draft. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get those clear signals and then you get this pack, like what are you supposed to do with it, right? Yeah. And that happens so much in the format. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but but regardless, so Huey's got a good lane. Uh, he has the red card already. So I think it's a clear Oread of Mountain's Blaze for Huey here. But it like just doesn't matter also. Like anything he takes here, it just doesn't matter. I agree. Yeah, that feels bad. I mean, Oread of Mountain's Blaze has a chance of mattering in blue-red. I mean, it will be a functional card in his deck. Sure. Because he's going to be passing with mana open and then he can rummage away lands yeah, later yeah. in the game. I mean, it, it'll be a, it'll play a role in his deck for sure. He does scoop that up here. Pack one, pick six. Uh, we've got a Hero of the Games, a Revoke Existence, and Hero of the Pride at Common, Heliod's Punishment at Uncommon, and no blue cards. Yeah, that is alarming to me if I'm Huey. Um, But I think the blue cards he has are good enough that you'll be able to play blue and then just figure out what your second color is supposed to be, which is not normally where I'd be in a draft. But in this format, I think that's right. Like if you have three blue cards that power level, I think I think Huey's playing blue at this point or like 90 percent to play blue or something like that. Yeah. So I think this choice is between Hero of the Games and Hero of the Pride. I think Hero of the Games is pretty filler, especially in blue-red. Yeah. And so I think I would be taking Hero of the Pride here as the best card in the pack and maybe be looking to see if I'm supposed to be blue-white instead of blue-red. Yeah, and Huey agreed, and I loved seeing this pickup. I did find it kind of interesting that Caleb and Riley were, like, baffled by this pick on coverage because I thought this was, like, I think Hero of the Pride is one of the better white commons, and I 
think that him picking it up here was a pretty smart move. Looking down the line of the pack, he he sticks on the white train for pick seven, grabbing a Karametra's Blessing over not much. Like, Sage of Mysteries, only blue card in the pack. Same deal in pick eight. Sage of Mysteries, only blue card in the pack, and he grabs a Thrill of Possibility over a Nyxborn Courser. So trying to just, like, feel out what he's supposed to do with the good blue cards that he has. He wheels that Dalakos, the blue-red 2-4, and I think just as, like, a body in blue-red, maybe he's thinking that's fine and grabs that. And then... Holy white cards, Batman, pack one, pick 10, Lannan of the Lost Pride, Transcendent Envoy, Rumbling Sentry, and Alcid of Life's Bounty all in the pack. Wow, that's crazy. I think you take Alcid of Life's Bounty there as the best card in the pack. Goes well, you know, in a blue-white controlling shell. Just a just a strong card, can protect your Shimmerwing Chimera once it's on the battlefield. It just does a lot of things. Yeah, uh, Huey agrees, grabs that. He The late white cards keep coming. Omen of the Sun, pick 11. Flicker of Fate, pick 12. And Transcendent Envoy, pick 13. Pretty crazy pickup there late in the pack. Yeah, so I think, you know, you're certainly looking maybe to be blue-white at this point after getting all those white cards on the wheel. What happens in pack two? Pack two, very, very lucky for Huey. He opens Elspeth Conquers Death to, I think, solidify him in white. And I think hopefully to be in white-blue as the draft progresses. He... Rounds that out with Dreadful Apathy next, Riptide Turtle third, Witness of Tomorrow's fourth, and shout out to Sentinel's Eyes, Sentinel's Eyes pick five. I love that card so much. It's so good. Yeah, this is just great for Huey, right? Yeah. You've got Elspeth Conquer's Death with Shimmerwing Chimera. Come on. Yeah, it's really, really strong. So he really gets to draft on rails at this point. He opens Shadow Spear, pack three, pick one. He doesn't end up with a ton of removal, just Elspeth Conquer's Death, Apathy, and an Ichthyomorphosis that he picks up. The deck we have an image of here, he ended up running two Flicker of Fates, which I thought was kind of sketchy, but watching the deck play out, it was really good with Apathy, with Elspeth Conquer's death, like saving his creatures from removal, Birth of Miletus he played in this deck. He just had a really good blue-white control deck. Oh, and Flickers are instants to trigger trigger the Hippocamp too. Yep, that's very true. I I like that draft and I like that deck. Yeah, draft was great, deck was great, Huey 3-0'd, everyone's happy. Huey's great. Yeah, he was one of the five players who 6-0'd the limited portion of the weekend. Sigrist in there also, shout out to him. Yeah. All right, moving on to Alan Wu's draft, who has two seats to Huey's left in this pod on day two. Pack one, pick one, Alan sees the following cards as options. There's Nylea's Intervention at Rare. That's the green-green X spell that either hurricanes or... Uh, lets you search up lands and put them into your hand. And Agonizing Remorse, one black for the discard spell, exile spell rather. Yeah. The card has been insane. And Anax in the Hardened Forge, the red demigod. Yeah, I think you, you know, we're just taking the, the best card out of the pack here. Pack one, pick one. And that's for me, Anax Hardened in the Forge. I agree. And Alan does as well. So with Anax Hardened the Forge in his pile, pack one, pick two, sees the following cards as options. Ichthyomorphosis and Satessin Training at Common. Eutropia twice favored at Uncommon, the blue-green-gold Uncommon, and Dreamstalker Manticore, the two-red 4-2, that when you cast your first spell during your opponent's turn, deals one damage to any target. Yeah, I think this is probably the most interesting pick in his draft, because I think you can make arguments for Manticore or Eutropia. So Manticore pairs really nicely with Anax in that it is red. It is a four-power creature, so it dies into two 1-1 satyrs, which is what Anax wants. Um... But I think Eutropia is one of the most powerful uncommons in the set and like is one of those cards worth holding on to dear life for that we've been talking about. Whereas Anax is good, but I don't feel like it's that level of like, oh, I really want to make sure I'm red here. So I think 
while it's it's tough to pass up on the Manticore, that I would take Utropia here. I think I'm on Utropia here as well. I think there's enough of a power level gap between Utropia and Dreamstalker Manticore that I'm willing to take it here. And there's enough of a power level gap between Utropia and Anax mm-hmm. that I'm willing to give up on Anax. Yeah, I agree. All right. Alan agreed and snagged Utropia. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. Bunch of commons here we're choosing between Soul Reaper of Mogis, Starlet Mantle, Nexus Wardens, and Thirst for Meaning. Yeah, you feel pretty good about getting to follow up Utropia with Thirst for Meaning here. Um, and I think would have felt kind of bad if you had Dreamstalker Manicore. Though Thirst for Meaning is good with that card as well. I mean, if you take Dreamstalker Manicore, you get to take Soul Reaper of Mogus here and then maybe look to be Black Red Sacrifice. I mean, it's not the end of the world. You're not taking Soul Reaper third. You're going to fight over Black for a Soul Reaper. I mean, what are you taking otherwise? Thirst? I'm taking Thirst for Meaning. I'm not. Not with two red cards. I'm taking Soul Reaper there. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, that's that sounds wild to me. <laughs> Moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. There's a Witness of Tomorrow's, Stern Dismissal, Elysian Caryatid, and Scola Grove Dancer at common. And then at uncommon is as a white card, there's an All Seed of Life's Bounty. Yeah, we're going to see Alan picking this card up a lot this weekend. He's going to grab the Elysian Caryatid here. And honestly, I might as well. I, I think with Utropia and Thirst, I'd probably just take Witness of Tomorrow's as a it's an enchantment creature, goes very well in blue-green. I think Utropia is also a card where we could end up like blue X and try and splash it. So I think I'd try and go down the blue route a little longer here. And I'm also just not high on Elysian Carry Added. Though after watching Alan navigate both of those drafts this weekend, or seeing what he ended up with in both drafts this weekend, I think I might have to raise that card in my estimation. Yeah, I think it's best home is certainly blue-green. I agree with you, though. I think I'd have been on Witness of Tomorrow's here over the Carry Added. Mm-hmm. Alan disagrees and snapped up the Elysian Caryatid. So he now has Annex, Utropia, Thirst, and Elysian Caryatid. Moving on to pack one, pick five. Sees the following cards as options. Hero of the Pride, Scola Grove Dancer, Incendiary Oracle, and an Uncommon, a Satessan Petitioner. Yeah, I mean, again, as we're seeing here in all these drafts, like we get to pick five and it's like a screeching halt of power level. Like there's just nothing, nothing to be gleaned here. Scola Grove Dancer, a card I like a lot. It's an enchantment creature for Utropia. It looks like he's trying to dig himself into green with that Elysian carry added. So it's a nice pickup here. Yeah, very nice pickup. You slam Skola Grove Dancer. Moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's a Riptide Turtle and a Daybreak Chimera at common. And at uncommon, a Siona Captain of the Pileus hanging out. That's the green-white uncommon. Yeah, so I mean, you could take Turtle here, but I really think Turtle is not at home in green blue because i think that deck wants to be assertive so i don't hate taking the speculative siona here if you do end up with some auras like warbriar blessing or satessin trainings or whatever or maybe you end up in green white splashing utropia but like more enchantments you have works well with utropia maybe turns siona into a card that's gonna you know dig for another card so i I like this pick here yeah i like this pick as well so alan nabbed siona Moving on to pack one, pick seven. You see the following cards as options. Another weak pack here. Yeah. Omen of the Hunt, the green omen. Clothis's design, the 5G creatures get plus X plus X on your side of the battlefield equal to your devotion to green. I do like that card a fair amount in these green decks that just sort of stall the board out because that plus the green forerunner that gives your stuff trample is a very real win condition for a green deck. Spoiler alert. Oh, is that a spoiler alert? I didn't even know. I did not get a chance to watch these. You outlined our show notes from coverage. There's a Wings of Hubris. There's a Thundering Chariot, four mana for the 3-3 vehicle. 
and a Scophos War Leader hanging out, the four red, four five that has red, second enchantment to give it plus one, plus O, and Menace. Yeah, I think with where his draft is going right now, he's got the carry added, he's got Eutropia, he's got Siona. I think this is a time where I would want to pick up Omen of the Hunt and just start to solidify myself as green X splishy splash that like cares about enchantments or whatever. Um, Clothes' design is not a card that I like very much. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think given the pack, I would be on Omen of the Hunt for all the reasons you outlined. Alan Wu disagrees and picked up Clothis's design here. And I think maybe with a nod to worrying about the fact that the board was going to stall out and wanting to have a way to break through. Mm-hmm. So pack one, pick eight. He nabs the aforementioned Nylia's forerunner out of a fairly weak pack, Revoke Existence and Hero of the Games hanging out here. So great pickup for Alan there. So those two cards in tandem are a real plan. Did mm-hmm. he pull that off in any of the rounds? No, I don't think he ended up running uh, Clothis's design in his main deck. Okay. And pack one, pick nine on the wheel gets a Nylia's intervention, which opens up a lot of splashing opportunities, as well as Caleb. You've got a note here mentioning that you can use Eutropia to jump your opponent's creatures and then potentially hurricane them away. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of mana. (laughs) Yeah, that's not something that I thought was like going to happen, but it was not an interaction that I had thought of. Um, Pack rounds out with a bunch of junkers. Pick 10, Nyxborn Courser. Pick 11, Hyrax Tower Scout. Pick 12, Transcendent Envoy, pick 13, Sleep of the Dead, and a pick 14, Towering Wave Mystic. How do you feel if you're Alan after pack one here? I don't feel great, but I feel like he figured out what he was supposed to do. And I would like, how much worse do you feel if you don't take Utropia? You feel terrible. Like your deck is a pile, but you have Utropia, which is nearly a bomb. And you're just going to like try and make that work. And you now have outs because, and especially if I had taken Omen of the Hunt, I'd feel better here. You have outs to be like, Look, I can open anything, I can get past anything and play it. So I feel like he's probably just going to try and be green, maybe green-blue based for Utropia, but green-blue XXX, whatever, like figure out what powerful cards he can cast. Yeah. So your rare that you open pack two pick one is Gallia of the Endless Dance. At Uncommon, you've got Illyrios Enraptured and Acolyte of Affliction. And at Common... You've got Omen of the Forge, Final Flare, and Nylea's Huntmaster. So some pretty unexciting commons there. Yeah, I think you just take the best card out of the pack here, which I guess could be Acolyte of Affliction, but which he could splash for, honestly. So I guess it's, a, it's an interesting conversation between taking that and taking Illyrios. But Illyrios just seems like it's going to be a, a more solid, uh, less inflexible card for him. Agree. Illyrios, if you're the aggro deck and your opponent plays Illyrios and Raptured, you just feel so deflated. Yeah. You just got two for one. Moving on to pick two, see the following cards as options. There's an Elysian carry added, Setessen training, Witness of Tomorrows, and Traveler's Amulet at common, and a Madomai's Prophecy at uncommon. He's got a lot of choices here, I think. On power level, and he's only got the one card draw spell so far in Thirst. I'd like to have a, a few more if I'm him, especially if I'm trying to be like green, blue, ramp, splash, rather than green, blue, beats. So I like taking Prophecy here, but I think... Witness is defensible. Caryatid is defensible. I think he's got a lot of options here. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Alan did nab the Madomai's Prophecy. Pick three picks up an Elysian Caryatid out of a, a pretty weak pack. There's a Careless Celebrant hanging out and a Satessan training. No blue cards, which is maybe a little bit of a worry. Uh, and then moving on to pack two, pick four has choice of the following options. Vexingal, Nexus Wardens, Traveler's Amulet, Daybreak Chimera, and Omen of the Sea. 
thrilled to see that omen of the sea. Uh, the omens work really well with Utropia, can turn it into a trick. Um, if he gets any other constellation payoffs, he's going to be happy with it. Now he gets a third source of card advantage slash card filtering. So nice pickup here for him. Yeah, and then you've got a note here about this next pick. So following cards as options for pack two, pick five. There's a Sunmane Pegasus, a Brine Giant, a Dream Shaper Shaman, and a Soul Guide Lantern here. What do you like? So I really like picking up Dream Shaper Shaman here. Um, he's already got two Elysian carry adds, and my big qualm with that card is that at a certain point, it feels like a mulligan, like it doesn't do anything. It has a hard time finding its way to the graveyard, save for just like chump blocking with it to then fuel escape later in the game. But if he's already going to be able to splash, which he is because he's got two carry adds, and we're only in the middle in the beginning of pack two, I think Dream Shaper Shaman is a nice thing to turn those carry adds into fuel later on in the game. It's also an enchantment creature to trigger Utropia, etc. I think this is like a perfect home for Dream Shaper Shaman. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, Brine Giant is defensible here as well, I think. I, I, I mean, guess. it goes in. The, it's a blue green card. It's fat, like lets you stabilize. I do think Dream Shaper Shaman fits better and you do have the tools to splash. So I think it's a, a good card here. I, I could go either way. I have no strong feelings about this pick. Yeah, I mean, Brine Giant is, is fine. I just guess I just feel like blue green doesn't have a problem finding raw stats. And I get that Brine Giant is like, the biggest of the bunch, though Nyxborn Colossus really is the biggest of the bunch, but like you're just you're gonna find stats in blue green. I think Shaman is a less replaceable effect. Yeah, that makes sense. So if we check out the deck here, ended up with some spice, but not yeah. a ton of power. So base blue green, splashing a Myers Grasp, a Banishing Light, and a Triumphant Surge. So some good removal there on the splash and running the Nylea's intervention to maybe help find those cards. Has a single traveler's amulet a Plains of Swamp, and a Temple of Plenty. So four white sources for the two white cards and three sources for... Oh, well, you got way more than that because you got the triple... You got triple carry added, so yeah. His mana is just insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting that this deck 3-0'd, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think he got a little lucky, but he also just like played super well. And he was one of the other 6-0 drafters. And if you look at his deck that he posted from day one, it's like the same thing. It's more powerful for sure because he's got Archon of Sun's Grace, but it's just like green, white, blue enchantments, triple carry added again. Like he really, he really likes his uh, his base green ramp splash decks. Interesting, yeah. And but worth noting, both decks had good removal. Yes, I, I don't think I would have made the leap to splash the triumphant surge, but it did work for him. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've got a blue white deck right now that's a control deck running a couple triumphant surges that I am curious to take for a spin on MTGO and see how it works out. Nice. Yeah, watching these uh, players draft and play got me excited about the format. Uh, I had been feeling kind of down on it for a few days. So I think I'm ready to, to dive into the Theros streets again. Yeah, for sure. I will be streaming this afternoon. All right, great place to wrap us up there. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you check that out. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. Ben's going to be streaming later today, which will be in the past when this episode comes out. He's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Yeah. Just what is the poker term? Bird? Railbird, yeah. Railbird. Oh, you That's want me to do that again? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was that was my actual interjection. Uh, okay. Uh, what is the I'll, term? I'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. I think if I've got three white cards, I think I'm taking bright, 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 blah. The bleeps, BBC. <laughs> With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 